0: <laughs> Greetings, citizens! You're
1: now trapped in a nerd cage with your hosts, Mark and Jay! We hope you have a smashing good time! Yeah.
0: Before we start this episode, this will contain some mature and disturbing themes. We know this is not a kid's show, but we know we have fans out there that let their kids listen. We're asking you not to do that for this episode. That being said, hello and welcome. That's right. You're trapped in Nerd Cage Live. This ain't just a reaction show, but a debate show and a live discussion on everything that makes people like you and I tick. So thank you for joining us tonight. Please hit that like button and subscribe. I'm your co-host Jay St. G coming to you live from Syracuse, New York, and always with me, The warrior from Wakanda, the fiend
1: from Louisville, my man, Mark Withers. What's shaking, boss? Hey, what's going on, man? Super excited to be here as usual. And yes, today is going to be our first look back of 2021. And we couldn't think of a better look back to do than to focus on Jonathan Demme's classic psychological thriller, Silence of the Lambs. Now, Jay, I know that you, like me, are a big fan of this movie. I gave it a rewatch this weekend, and I got to say, I like it better now than when I first watched it 30 years ago. But I wanted to get your take on it. What do you think?
0: What's there not to like about this movie? This movie is a perfect movie, a perfect thriller, perfect cast, perfect writing, everything. That being said, it's it's not exactly a fun watch. (laughs) (laughs) Like after I finished watching, I need I needed to take my mind and do something completely different, but it's so good and and it's just it, it cuts
1: deep. Absolutely, absolutely. I think that this is by far one of my favorite movies from that time period, and it just influenced so many other films that came after it. It's based on a series of books by Thomas Harris, and the books themselves are quite gruesome. But what sets these movies apart is that it basically looks into the mind of the killer, but also looks into the minds of the behavioral sciences, those teams of people that are actually tracking and trying to capture these killers. And so for that reason, I think this is a very special movie.
0: Absolutely, and fun fact, this movie was recently registered into the US um, Film Registry and has been preserved. And yes. of course, it is an Oscar winning film.
1: It won, I believe, five Oscars that year, including yes. Best Actor, Best Director, Best Actress, Best Screenplay. It swept the Academy Awards that year, you know, which was surprising given the subject matter and yes, given the exactly. fact that. Yes, exactly. Right. It's a horror
0: thriller <laughs> movie. I mean, that's that's unheard of. I mean, yeah, I know. I, I believe The Exorcist and The Omen have won, but I don't think any horror movie in the 80s won any Oscars. And here comes 1991 comes along. Here comes Silence of the Lambs, which came out on Valentine's Day.
1: (laughs) Of all days. (laughs) Yeah, of all days
0: and uh, and won a few Oscars. And yeah, I, I, in my heart of hearts, believe this is Anthony Hopkins' best performance, his trademark film.
1: Yes. Yeah. And speaking of Anthony Hopkins and the cast, I wanted to kind of like dig into sort of the origin of how this film came to be. Now, originally, this was meant to be a vehicle for Gene Hackman. Uh, when Orion Pictures acquired the rights to make this movie, Gene Hackman was originally planning to kind of go in as a partner on the film uh, with him directing and starring as Jack Coleman, which ended up being Scott Glenn's character. But, you know, upon the first draft of the script, he kind of felt like the subject matter was a little too heavy, a little too gruesome, and he didn't want to be associated with it. So halfway through the development, he backed out of the project. Which also I can't meant blame him. right. I mean, if you actually look at you know the end result, you can kind of see why uh, why he made that move. That put Orion Pictures sort of on the hunt for a director. And luckily, Jonathan Demi was coming off of a film and he was uh, very interested after reading the book. And all it took really was a read of Ted Talley's first draft of the script for him to become excited and to sort of get the wheels turning as far as getting this movie made. Now there's an additional uh, point of interest with that origin story. So Jodie Foster was not the original choice to play Clarice Starling. Originally, Originally the role was offered to Michelle Pfeiffer. She didn't want to have anything to do with it for obvious reasons. (laughs) Um, It was then offered to a few other actresses, Laura Dern, uh, Meg Ryan. And, you know, none of them were really interested. Uh, Jodie Foster, on the other hand, was very excited to do this movie. But uh, Jonathan Demme didn't feel initially that she was the right person for the role. And so she actually had to like kind of lobby for the part. She kind of had to kind of convince him That, you know, she was the right actress for the role. And eventually she's not afraid of controversy. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Which made her the perfect choice. Hopefully I'm not jumping ahead
0: too much here. But one of the things I love about this movie, the close-ups. Right. I've never, ever, ever seen a movie utilize close-ups that well, ever. Like, I'm I'm not the biggest fan of extreme close-ups. I kind of find it like you know, borderline annoying, like, I really don't want to see these people's faces that close. <laughs> this movie is a rare exception for it because it pulls it off magically, with those close up shots.
1: Right, and they're very important, I, I feel, as far as getting into sort of the mind of each character, you know, during these moments where there's really not dialogue on the part of that character. As one person speaks, the other person's face sort of reacts, and you kind of mm-hmm. see in their eyes, like, what Mm -hmm. is actually meant and I think that's an important component in the story you know this is a psychological thriller arguably the first of its kind and so you know I think that those close-ups are crucial to the way that this story unfolds on film
0: so I I wanted to ask you this earlier um I was really really young when the movie first came out I was like you know five years old I did I did see this movie at a young age and um, I'm still, to this day, I'm wondering how on earth my mom even allowed me to watch this movie when I did. Right. That being said, when you first saw the movie, when, did you see it in theater? Like, when, tell me your experience yeah. when you first watched the movie.
1: So, so yeah, so when this film first came out, uh, it's it's an interesting thing to sort of think about. Um, all the movies that came out before that in, say, the all through the 80s up to that point, when it was a story about a serial killer, it was always a like a hack and slash movie it was always like a gore gore fest kind of a thing so you know i think that initially we all thought that silence of the lambs was going to be more of the same of that and you know i didn't rush out to the theater to go see it i kind of got word of mouth like hey have you seen silence of the lambs like that movie is like really brilliantly written and so I, I went out and saw it and just realized that it's it's not so much like a gore fest, so much as it is just sort of like a mind thriller type of a thing. And I really was blown away by that. We really had, I mean, we don't think about those things now because we have like shows like CSI. CSI, And, yep. and this movie deeply influenced those types of shows, but that yeah. nothing like that existed before this movie.
0: And on one hand, you have this very disturbing character in Buffalo Bill but at the same time Hannibal Lecter is such a likable villain. You kind of root for him. I can't help but love the character Hannibal Lecter. He is a fascinating character and in my book the greatest on-screen villain of all time.
1: Yeah. I I I agree. Oddly enough for this movie going back to the you know the original Uh, Manhunter, Dino De Laurentiis, who was the producer on that film, owned the rights to the Hannibal Lecter character. And part of Orion Pictures' task was to sort of come up with the funds to license that character for this film. But because Manhunter was such a commercial flop, uh, De Laurentiis didn't believe that it was going to have any hope of success. So he gave them the licensing for free. (laughs) and allow them to use the the Lecter character free of charge.
0: I bet he (laughs) interrupted.
1: Right, yeah. So yeah, so Anthony Hopkins was also not the first person after Gene Hackman to be considered for the cast. Originally, they wanted like a bigger power player like uh, Robert De Niro or Al Pacino. Um, There were some other big names that at the time made more sense for them. But then when, uh, when Anthony Hopkins came into the picture, he actually provided a new dimension for the character that they weren't considering. The voice and sort of the cadence of the way that, he, that Lecter talks that is now considered sort of canon, everybody else who sort of played Hannibal uses that interpretation of him, um, was inspired by Stanley Kubrick's 2001, the computer, how, uses that same cadence and that same tone of voice. And so he mimicked that to sort of add a creepiness and add a new dimension to the character. And that's what sold the producers on him as the lecture character.
0: Oh, yeah, see Mark spitting the facts here. <laughs> you know, and the funny thing is, he really wasn't on screen very long. That much, that yeah. Yeah, kinda like when we talk about, like, Heath Ledger's Joker, like, which was also an Oscar-winning performance, like, Anthony Hopkins really didn't have much screen time in this movie.
1: Yeah, he really made it count, though.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, as we were just talking about those close-ups from earlier, I think the reason why they won the Oscars there, the silence of the lambs, the, the dialogue that they had where he, he asked her about the screaming lamb. That scene alone right there, I think it's what got them the Oscars. That's just my opinion. I don't have any proof.
1: And that makes sense. I mean, I think that, um, like like we were saying earlier, a lot of people at that time would have expected a film like this to have a lot more action, a lot more blood. But what makes this movie powerful are those sort of stories that Mm -hmm. come from the minds of the main characters and sort of the past of the main characters. And you're right. That particular story, you know, sort of sets the framework for the rest of the film and sort of like gives you an insight into who Clarice is why this is so important for her why she wanted to become an FBI agent to begin with and uh and so yeah I think that it was brilliant writing on Ted Talley's part and you know brilliant execution on Jonathan Demme's part
0: yeah it's character development 101 it really is correct so, Mark, you just mentioned a little bit ago um, that you know lack of action. You know what? There, there were some good action scenes though. I I personally enjoyed the FBI training montage early on. Right. I can appreciate that. And hands down, my favorite scene is the action scene—the scene where Hannibal escapes. That was brilliant. Oh, <laughs> I love it. It's thrill. It's even I've, I've seen this movie a number of times, and every time I just get pumped because I know what's coming. You know, and the fact that he was able to escape the way he did. Oh, that is a brilliant action slash gruesome scene. Definitely my favorite scene in the movie. What's your favorite scene?
1: So I will agree with that one. Um, I really liked uh, that escape and the way that that was executed. Not so much because we see blood and we see a lot of violence. I mean, that definitely uh, is an important component, but... I really like that you see the trepidation in the eyes of the cops that have to try to apprehend him when they're waiting around that elevator and, you know, you can see in their eyes, like what is happening, like, you know, like, you know, you see that they sense this danger and that, you know, or or the part where the, the guy's looking down the elevator shaft and he sees you know, the body who, you know, the guy who thinks is Hannibal, Hannibal Lecter just laying on the top and he's like thinking about going down there. He's like wound, wound him, you know what I mean? Shoots him in the leg. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can, you can see in those moments the fear on each person's face and the consequence of like, you know, what happens if I make the wrong move, if I make the wrong decision. Yeah and i think to me that's what brings the gravitas to that to that scene And in my opinion that's the best scene in the whole movie
0: on top of that and I, I actually picked on it more after re-watching it last night is that hannibal like carefully 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 planned the whole thing going back to the beginning of the movie where he said that inappropriate line to the senator there before that scene he was eyeballing the pen on the table Right. Now how he got hold of that pen, I don't know, but you know that he did because then he's like and then he's like, Oh wait, where's my pen? Oh here, borrow my pen. Right. Well he he got a hold of that pen, he was keeping it the whole time. By the way, I have to nitpick something real quick. They say, Hey, we're gonna transfer to Onida Park, New York, whatever. It's right, Oneida, it's actually Oneida Park. <laughs> Just saying, I, I I'm from the area, so I know. Right, right. Um but anyway, carefully the it. They say to him, Hey, cooperate with us. And we will, you know, we'll get you to you know the better facility, or whatever. And that's when he said an inappropriate line. Hey, did you breastfeed her and what and whatnot? Right. Take this monster away. He planned that whole. He did that on purpose. Planned it the whole time, so he could be in that temporary holding cell. Exactly. He gets the opportunity to escape, and it's just like, oh wow! <laughs> you don't you pick up on it the first time, but after mm-hmm. rewatching it, like, okay, this is. So he planned this the whole time.
1: Exactly, exactly, wow. and like you said, that was something that I didn't pick up on when I first watched it, but on this rewatch, I was like, man, this guy is like even more brilliant than I remember because yeah. every step, I mean, you can see, a, you know, you can see like the wheels turning and you could see him kind of planning out like from the pen you know mm-hmm. from that from that moment with the senator you know from the the point where he's able to like acquire the little um paper clip to get his handcuffs undone yeah. you know so it's just like a combination of all these things just sort of coming together perfectly i was just very impressed by the whole thing upon a second watch.
0: and that's what makes the character so scary though is because he's so smart nobody can outsmart him that's just right. the thing He's just that that he's that's what makes him that dangerous like i said he's <laughs> hands down the best cinematic villain of all time i know some people say darth vader i mean i i could pull for the kurgan but man hannibal lecter man you know the joker obviously is another one uh but man hannibal lecter's gotta be at the top man and you can't not like him You you can't. He's just he's just (laughs) fascinating of a character, you know. It's just like you don't want to cross him. You don't definitely don't want to be rude to him. Just saying, right? That's true. And that's another thing too is like he feasts on the rude. So you're just like so when he when when he gets to his victims, you're like you you almost don't sympathize for them because they had it (laughs) they had it coming. And if I have any any other okay, a couple small nitpicks. Mm
1: -hmm. One.
0: You rip a man's face off. You're not gonna be able to rip a, rip a man's face off and conveniently wear it as a mask, but that's okay. I'll let that slide. Sure. And um, there's not it's, there's nothing wrong, but the ending. I really wanted to see Hannibal get his revenge on his old doctor. I really did. <laughs> I really did because there are scenes. Uh, I think believe the actor's name's Anthony Hel- H- Harold or something like that. Mm-hmm. He um, early on in the movie, he says like some inappropriate things to uh uh to Clarice. Right, now keep right. in mind, this is an era where me too and sexual harassment in the workplace was more common than it should have been i'll leave Correct. it at that mm-hmm. um and kudos to the the clarice character that she's able to deal with men in the workplace the way she does and being a you know a female fbi agent standing up to other cops and other agents i mean you see that more in the in the sequels in the sequel too but like right. but anyway what i'm getting at is. That, that doctor was really, he said some inappropriate things to Clarice saying, hey, if you are staying in town, maybe I could show you around and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, oh, dude, like I'm so <laughs> glad that Hannibal gets this guy at the end. It's just a damn shame we never get to see it.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's interesting, you know, like, you know, going back a few minutes to what you just said, you know, it, it seems, I, I hadn't noticed this before either, but it, it does seem like Hannibal has a bit of a code, right? So yeah. he doesn't just kill indiscriminately. It seems like he kills people who are rude or inappropriate or have yeah. done s- wrong to someone else, and um, you know that's evidenced by you know how he is with that psychiatrist and with some yeah. of the other people in in uh, in the film, and even the people he describes that he's killed that were former patients of his. Yeah, you know, they're not like just like oh I'm gonna I'm gonna kill this guy and eat him just because. Yeah, you know? so
0: and you okay. get to see more of that in the TV show and and in the sequel to follow Hannibal from 2001 which also turns 20 this year in August. So yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like that's why it's I know he's an awful you know monster, but it's he's a likable monster because like I said, <laughs> he doesn't just he doesn't right. do, he doesn't just kill people at random like a like a Michael Myers or a Leatherface. He get, he does it to the ones that quote unquote deserve it.
1: Right. Even Jodie Foster, like when, you know, when her roommate's like asking her if she's worried about if Hannibal's going to come after her, she's like, no, he's not going to do anything to me. He would consider that rude. So even she picked up on that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, the nitpicks I have in this movie are very, very minor. But at the end of the day, this is a perfect movie. Mm -hmm. This movie to me is still a solid 10 out of 10 and it's gonna stand to the test of time.
1: Yeah, and I agree with that statement. I do have one small nitpick. It's more uh, a flaw in the writing, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, So the scene where Clarice uh, finds Buffalo Bill, and she realizes, basically confirms who he is. Um, Why does she not just conveniently leave and call for backup? She pulls out her gun, knowing that she's the only one there and that no one really knows where she is in hopes of apprehending this guy who has overpowered several women and she's on his turf. It just didn't seem like something an an FBI agent would do. Remember, she's a rookie, though. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that she's not intelligent. I feel like if any of us were in that situation. And you knew that this is a potentially dangerous situation. And if I die, no one is going to know that I'm here. No one's going to know who this guy is. I'm the only one that's kind of crafted. So there is no real reason for her to try to take him down in that moment. She could have just left and said, okay, I know who this guy is. I have the address. She could have just called Jack Crawford back, or she could have called the local police and at least had backup there, and there would have been time to uh, save the girl. Maybe that was the reason. Maybe yeah, you're because- absolutely
0: that's what I'm you're absolutely right. But I think it's because she knew there was a hostage. You know, not right. just a hostage, but a senator's daughter. You know, so I think right. she was thinking, okay, I I need you know save this this girl as soon as possible. Right. By the way, uh the senator's speaking to the senator's daughter, like. I can't listen to um, Tom Petty, American (laughs) Girl. I just can't because I'm thinking. I feel like if I listen to that song, something bad's gonna happen to me after
1: <laughs> that movie. Don't mood, listen to it never, in a car. Ever
0: ruined that song for me?
1: <laughs> yeah. I, oddly enough, that was the first time I ever heard that song was in that movie. I I wasn't familiar with it before. Then, yeah, so same here. I'm like <laughs> you. Every time I hear that song, I think about the scene where she's in the, in the car. And she's like jamming out to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, wow. Like, this is,
0: I, this, I think this is our first look back where we're not like destroying the movie or at least not take, like taking one part of the movie and destroying it. No, it's just, it's a great yeah. movie.
1: Yeah, it really is a masterpiece mm-hmm. and, you know, really the first of its kind. I mean, it influenced so many things that came after it. Like we mentioned earlier in the episode, you know, now we have TV shows yep. like CSI and Criminal Minds and Hunter. but this mm-hmm. is a very different type of a movie that didn't really exist before this came along. And so... They really hit it out of the park first time out.
0: Now, of course, with this look back, uh, we couldn't do this look back without talking about the sequels, prequels, and TV shows that followed. And I, and funny enough, the sequel, Hannibal, which took place 10 years later, is also celebrating its 20th anniversary this year. August, not February. But I want to take a moment to appreciate Hannibal, the sequel. Right Now, um, right off the bat, I'm going to say this right now. The first one's so perfect. You, you're, there's no surpassing it at all. Mm-hmm. But to me, I still personally liked Hannibal the sequel. And here's why. I thought jo- um, Julianne Moore did a fine job as, as a more seasoned um, Clary Star- Starling who's been you know 10 years in the FBI, still dealing with shit at the workplace. Anthony Hopkins is still Anthony Hopkins. And we get a proven director with Ridley Scott. Right. Beautiful imagery throughout the whole movie. Here's the beauty about this sequel. It's completely different. Instead of uh, using a killer to catch a killer, this time we get a really fascinating cat and mouse story in Italy, in Europe. Right. And on top of that, we get a revenge story. And we go a little bit deeper into the character of Hannibal. And the revenge story revolves around a brilliant performance from Gary Ullman. Who plays a very um, effed up character, Mason, and he um, wants revenge on Hannibal for I don't know if you, how much you know about this movie, but he his face is all scarred up horrifically right. from um, Hannibal tricking him, tricking him into drugs and doing that to himself, and he wants revenge. He's filthy rich. He can he's and he's corrupted. Uh, he's bought out senators, bought out police force and he's using his own power to seek out revenge on Hannibal Lecter, and he's trying to use Clary Starling in the process. So Mm -hmm. the dynamic of this movie is you get a really awesome revenge story with a cat and mouse story, and it's definitely a fascinating watch. It really is. I I still feel it holds up pretty good. I'd give it a solid 8 out of 10. Again, Mm -hmm. not as good as the original. Definitely no Empire Strikes Back or Godfather 2 or Superman 2. More like a Rocky 2. And especially if you watch it immediately after Silence and Lambs, you do see more of the characters. For example, Barney, his caretaker, the the black caretaker there that worked as right. the guard,
1: Frankie Faison.
0: Yes, oh, he has some brilliant scenes, and he talks about how, well, yeah, I was I worked with Hannibal for six years, and you know he never did anything to me because I never treated him bad. So that's one thing you appreciate. They dig deeper into the character. They do explain more about his intentions, why he kills, and stuff like that. Okay, this movie's 20 years old, so I don't mind going to a little bit of a spoiler. There's a really, really, really gruesome scene at the very end involving a drug man getting stomped with his brain showing, and it's still <laughs> pretty damn awesome. Just saying. And then uh, a couple years later, we got. Well, before
1: before we get into that, I wanted yes. to kind of like break down some of the production history behind that sequel.
0: Okay, so go for
1: it. so yeah, so upon the success of Silence of the Lambs, Dino De Laurentiis, who still owned the rights to the Hannibal Lecter character, wanted to keep that train rolling. So he reached out to Thomas Harris and sort of convinced him like, "Hey, you really need to come up with a sequel for this book." So he kind of convinced him to sort of get the ball rolling with Hannibal and wanted him to sort of up the ante on it so more violence more blood and guts you know have more gruesomeness to it he was assured that everybody that was a part of the original cast would return for this film but upon reading that uh that second book a lot of the cast and crew were very turned off by the subject matter uh jodie foster in particular, thought it was a little bit off-brand for Clarice and sort of the things that sort of happened between her and Hannibal. You know, Anthony Hopkins was on the fence about, should I do it, should I not do it? Jonathan Demme was absolutely adamant that he wasn't going to be able to produce a good movie out of that source material. And the same for Ted Talley. Ted Talley, who was the original screenwriter for Silence of the Lambs, felt that it was a little bit too harsh, took things a little too far, and there was no way to really write a good story. So they all kind of jumped ship, except for Anthony Hopkins. Dino De Laurentiis you know, very famously said, if they can't retain Anthony Hopkins, that they don't have a movie at all. But they felt like they could replace everyone else. And in fact, it was Ridley Scott who was interested in this after Gladiator. He stepped up to direct. Yeah. And he was the one that brought in Julianne Moore because they had worked together on another film and he liked, you know, her work ethic and thought that she could bring something interesting to the Starling character. Yeah, and, like I said, she I thought she did a fine job. And right, and that, you know, is the primary reason why This movie is so drastically different from the first. Um, it got mixed reviews. A lot of people at the time loved it and thought it was great and thought it was a very apt sequel. A lot of other people thought that it was really off-putting and and didn't really have the same magic as the first film.
0: Well, you can't you can't surpass the first film, and it's a completely different movie. It's the same characters, but different movie, different setting, different everything. Now, you just mentioned a little bit ago that some of the the cast and crew didn't want to come back because they thought it was off-putting well if if, please correct me if i'm wrong if anybody in chat wants to correct me but from what i recall in the book i'm sorry i'm going to i'm sorry i'm spoiling the movie for anybody in the book the ending of the book clarice falls in love with hannibal and they run away together.
1: correct that doesn't happen in the movie yeah i know i know and that was at the that was at the insistence of ridley scott because he felt like it wouldn't make sense i've you know, Ridley because Clarice great. is such a straight shooter throughout the story that it was sort of a, a weird left turn, and it wouldn't make sense. And so he was pretty like adamant that that we need to change this ending. And so De Laurentiis agreed and allowed him to come up with a different ending for it.
0: No, 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 you're absolutely right. I I feel that Ridley Scott got it right. And again, it's it's definitely worth a watch. Like I said, the the Ranc cat and mouse story is fascinating. Now, uh, a couple of years later immediately riding the uh, the hannibal electric train they kept the kept the train rolling and it felt like it was short too because i was still in i think i was yeah i was in high school when it came out hannibal came out when i was in middle school and uh red dragon came out when i was in high school so red dragon very interesting uh take because uh it's a basically remake of manhunter from 1986 but more enhanced and of course you get anthony hopkins uh anthony Heald, or whatever comes back to play the his psychiatrist again this is before silence of the lambs timeline right. and it's interesting though the, the biggest head scratcher and this was big i remember at the time people were like head scratching brett Radner from rush hour directed red dragon <laughs> and i gotta say now listen this is not knock i love the rush hour movies but when you don't when you think rush hour you don't think hannibal lecter right but i gotta hand it to him he did a great job with red dragon i thought red dragon was awesome i mean it helps when you got anthony hopkins and it really helps you have edward norton uh as detective graham Amazing. and you do see um hannibal get captured the first time you did not see that in manhunter and in, in the very beginning of red dragon you see hannibal electric get caught by william graham and it's awesome and again, it's got some of the more disturbing imagery in there. A lot of familiar faces. For example, the one of the forensic guys, if I recall, is the the blonde haired Asian guy from uh, Rush Hour. So, as you can see, right. Brett Radner likes to use a lot of actresses he's worked with before. But I'll, I will tell you, though, Red Dragon, in my opinion, is miles better than Manhunter. And then you just mentioned before, Hannibal Rising. Now, this movie was crucified
1: yes, upon release. I remember. I didn't
0: mind it it's not great but it's is it worth the watch yes if you really want to see the origins of the Hannibal Lecter character then check it out it's been decades since I've seen it but I will say I, I personally didn't mind the movie
1: Right. Again, you know, that is sort of the result of De Laurentiis sort of pressuring Harris to write more so that he has more product to develop. And I'm like you, I didn't completely hate Hannibal Rising, but it to me, it didn't rise to the level of uh, of a Silence of the Lambs, or or a Hannibal, or 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 anything that had, had come before it, Manhunter, or anything like that. Yeah. It was interesting to see Lecter as a sort of anti-hero. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like he's sort of the protagonist in that movie. Yeah. Um, and and I like that. But there was just so much missing in that film that, and, and I couldn't quite nail down what it was that I didn't like about it. But whatever it was, I think that. Other people kind of felt the same way about it. I remember, and you have to remember, this is this is before there were really like memes, like online memes. People would like make like jokes like, Cheeks, it's what's for dinner. Like, you know, like make like weird references yeah. to the movie all the time to sort of mock the silliness of the way that he attacked his victims. If I have to guess, I would probably rank this much lower than the rest yeah. of, the, of the Lecter films.
0: Yeah, I give about six point five out of ten because I just I feel in my heart of hearts is not downright terrible. I I I think it's a bit of a fascinating watch, but it's nowhere near the any of the Anthony Hopkins movies. Now I want to take a moment to talk about the short-lived but brilliant TV series Hannibal. Right. I loved this show. You can't replace Anthony Hopkins at all. Well, right. I thought Mads Mikkelsen was a brilliant Hannibal Lecter. Now here's the difference. I feel like Anthony Hopkins brought a, a a twisted sense of humor whereas Mads Mikkelsen's version of Hannibal was a lot more a lot more menacing. Yes. And it lasted for what, 3 seasons. Mm-hmm. Brilliant cast. So the first season is is when Hannibal was the little psychiatrist working with the police and you, basically he's helping them solve you know crimes and whatnot, but while they're solving crimes, Hannibal's out, you know, doing his thing. Right. This show was brilliant. Wow. It got bumped network to network each season because it went from NBC, and then I think it went to Annie, and then I think it from then after Annie, it went to Netflix or uh, on on demand. I think. But man, it was a solid show. If you're a fan of the lore of Silence of the Lambs and Hannibal, it's it's worth the watch. I'm not saying it's better. But it's it's for TV series that went in with low expectations. It was brilliant.
1: So to sort of wrap this up, you know, we sort of talked about you know rankings. We normally yeah. rank you know when there's a, a series of these types of films. You know, how would you rank the the Lecter series, as you and I are calling it, from worst to best?
0: Okay, that's easy for me. So worst to best, worst starting with the worst. I'm gonna go Manhunter, Hannibal uh, Rising now the next three it could go either 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 way but i'm gonna go with the hannibal tv show then red dragon then hannibal the movie and then silence of the lambs being the best that's how i rank them from worst to
1: best gotcha gotcha and i will watch them in that order (laughs) (laughs) so that i can better appreciate the movie that we're talking about today i mean like again an absolute masterpiece in the genre. You know, the first of its kind. It has yet to really be topped, in my opinion. Uh, Easily Jonathan Demme's best work. It's definitely worth checking out.
0: Absolutely. So that being said, uh, that was our first look back of 2021. With many more to follow, but our next look back. We're going to look back at the fifth anniversary of Deadpool.
1: Yes. Very exciting for me. I'm a huge uh, fan of you know comic book characters in general but deadpool is absolutely a favorite and ryan reynolds absolutely did justice to this character by bringing him to life and we are going to love talking about this one next week
0: absolutely and uh again we, we're keeping track of these milestone movies i think this is going to be 2021 year 2021 is going to be the year of milestones for sure so that being said before we go we ask you to pretty please like Comment, subscribe, ring that bell, and spread this shit like so. So USA, from Louisville to Syracuse, to all of our friends and fans around the world at Nerd Cage Live, enjoy life, stay safe, and good night, Clarice.
1: (laughs) Sayonara. Ooh, trying to get out of the Nerd Cage, are ya? Well, before you go, hit that subscribe button! And if you're really intrigued, ring that bell! Thank you for dropping by. Until next time, tell everyone you know about Nerdcage
0: Live!